speaking here next week. So that's going to be awesome. He'd asked me to come help play, do some of the worship for a healing service they were doing, uh, or training slash whatever, it doesn't matter. point is, Christian Healing Ministries, they pray for healing of people and stuff. And while I was driving up there, I want to sh- I'm going to share all of this because I think it's this important. You hear a verse, was it Psalm 67, 6, 6211, see you were paying attention, that's good. Psalm 6211, power belongs to God. And while I was on the way driving up there, completely unrelated to CHM, I was listening to an interview with a theologian. Her name is Fleming Rutledge, incredible mind. She's a priest in the Episcopal Church, of which I don't know too much about. She wrote an amazing book on the crucifixion, which I'm reading right now. Incredibly intelligent, just very smart person. And just point after point of just amazing depths of her, like she's... 80 now, and she's been studying and following the Lord for so long. She's so eloquent. Probably one of the better preachers that I've heard. I mean, anyway. So it's just point after point of this amazing stuff I'm hearing, right? Power belongs to God, right? So they asked her something about power. And she started talking, and she started talking about, like, the, the philosopher Foucault, Michel Foucault. I don't, that's not a believer. I, I don't believe at all, but I don't know a whole lot about French philosophy or anything, but she does. She's smarter than me. And she said that to help understand, she was talking about how many people have been wounded by power. Power, and then therefore they're resistant to the Lord's power. Because they've been, and she said it's helpful because Foucault, as a philosopher, has tried to make a distinction between power as coercion meaning getting people to do what you want them to do, and power as agency, meaning just your ability to do what you want to do. So he said, when Jesus talks about power, and my, my power is made perfect in weakness, he's talking about this agency over here, that God can do anything he wants. Like when Jesus is crucified, he's not taken against his will. He says, I lay my life down, you see. There's a big difference between these two. Coercion, on the other hand, is to be able to make people do what you want them to do. That's almost always evil. And what she was saying, through her seeing in the depths of this guy's philosophy, was that the wounding that we experience through this kind of power makes us resistant to God's power. And then I went up to CHM, and I was playing, and I saw... The people and this, because it was all a streaming thing, but all the faces were on the screen, and I was overwhelmed by the presence of God, and the truth of that struck me to the core, and I started crying, and Gary started, everybody was crying, and the Lord was doing something, and to come in this morning, and here's the same exact verse, don't be turned off by simplistic things, because the depth of the simplistic things goes as deep as you can go. Now here she is talking about Foucault. I mean, y'all reading Foucault all the time? He's saying the same thing. You see? That's not an endorsement of everything that man said because I don't even know what it is. But I'm just saying, you know, it goes as deep as you want to go. That's not my message. But I'm going to pray and then I'm going to give you this message equally important. So, Father, we pray that you would bless this time and these words. Make us open to hear from you and open to your power, Lord. 
Jesus' name. Amen. This message is about power. It's about power. It's about Jesus. And it's about the disciples in what I call in a mess with Jesus. Because often this is a Christian life. That from the world's perspective, you're in a mess, but you're with Jesus, okay? And I'm going to give a quick paraphrase of a story, which I'm sure many of you have encountered before. And it's the story of Jesus walking on water, which is unusual. We can go ahead and say that. People don't walk on water often. Therefore, this is unusual. I'm going to read this entire story, and it's like, it's Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. So I'm going to read it all. Then we'll go back and walk through it pretty, you know point by point, and show you some of the things that the Lord brought out to me. So immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he, was, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him, Walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and began to, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. So that's the word of the Lord. And I am disappointed with myself because, um, oh, thank you, Kevin. Kevin just texted me that it should have been in a mess with the Messiah. So... I'm sharing that because I need a second to find what I'm looking for <laughs> on my iPad. Uh, okay, hold on. I'm going to find a photo because I was at, this story happens on the Sea of Galilee. And I was there last year um, with Pastor Jeff. And I'm going to scroll back. For, and I have photos. And I think this is important um, for two reasons, three reasons maybe. Um, one is that... Uh, we can uh, imagine things, like when I was a kid and I heard Sea of Galilee, I thought, you know, this is kind of like one of the Great Lakes or maybe like the Caspian Sea or something like that, which it's, in, it's obviously, if you look at a map, it's obviously inland, so it's not, um, it's not like the Mediterranean Sea or the Atlantic Ocean, but I thought it was like, this is a pretty big, um, I don't think it is, it's not that big a deal. Is <laughs> the uh, it's not that big, all right? It's a lake, like they call it lake. Uh, now you can see pretty much the entire thing. In certain vantage points, you can see the entire thing, but it's still big, okay? But the reason I wanted to show you these photos is because you can hear a story like this, and you can start to imagine it, and you might imagine it wrong. Like when I was a kid, I imagined this like he's on Lake Michigan or something like that, and there's no there's no shore to be seen, you know, don't know why I imagined it that way, sometimes the pictures depict it that way, but um, that doesn't materially change the story in any way, 
It just helps kind of ground it in reality. And the other thing is this, is that reality is important. This place is real. You can go there right now. I actually looked up to find a webcam that we could just click over to and like see right now, but it wasn't on. They're like, sorry, we're having technical difficulties. So I guess we're the technical difficulties is the theme of the day. But the... Uh, but this place is absolutely real. You can go there right now. Many of the towns that are referred to in the Bible, there's still like parts of those towns there. You know, this is not imaginary. It's absolutely real. And that's very important because um, so like I'm saying, so there, the, the, what's happened now is just before this, Jesus has been teaching. He finds out that John the Baptist has been killed. He's a little sad. He wants to go away from everyone and pray for a little bit. But instead, a crowd of thousands of people follow him. So he teaches them, and then this is when the whole feeding the 5,000 thing happens where he says to the disciples, well, you feed them. They go, we can't feed them. What are you talking about? And then he's like, just give me the bread and the fish, and I'll just, and then they, this miracle happens, and they feed all these people. And then Jesus is like, look, I need to be alone for a minute. You guys go ahead in the boat, and I'll come later. And part of you might go like, how's he going to come later? Well, here's the thing. You can also walk. You see, it's a big lake, and it's big. It's not small. It's still big, but like. If you're going from, you know, if this is the lake and you're going from here to there, you can take a boat or you can walk around, you see. And I'm not saying that Jesus was necessarily going to walk. I mean, obviously he did. Hey, look, there's a photo. We've got a crack crack di uh, team in the back there. So, yeah, this is good. So leave this up for while we're thinking about this. So, so what it is is you have a lake in between some mountains. And because of that, there's some crazy weather. And while we were there... One of the days, it got really crazy, and I had some cool photos of, like, a storm. So the storm was coming in, and you couldn't see the other side. You know, you've been on the Buckman Bridge and experienced this, you know, where it's like, wow, there's, there is no edge. And, um, and so what, what happens is this. These guys get into a messy situation. The disciples are in a boat. They're crossing over the lake as they were told to do. This is what's interesting. Like, we all know that there's mess in life, and we all know we encounter mess in life. And it makes a lot of sense to us when, when we we did it, you know what I mean? Like, it, like if you said somebody would be like, "Who would have thought if I did a lot of drugs it would mess up my life?" And we go, "Everyone would think that." You see what I'm saying? That's not the kind of mess I'm talking about. Like, side note: if you do a lot of drugs, it is going to mess up your life. But the thing is, this is a mess that's caused by the disciples. Doing what Jesus literally told them to do. That's a different kind of mess. Because that one starts to mess with your head. <laughs> You're like, wait a second. I thought I was doing what you told me to do. And the more I do what you're telling me to do, the more I'm encountering this resistance and this mess. Now, here's the deal. This is not foreign territory for these guys. A bunch of them are fishermen. Not all of them but enough that they know what they're doing. They know what boats are going to. This might even be one of their boats. You know, like, don't just assume everybody has boats all the time, you know. Um, so they encounter a situation that's a mess, but maybe they feel like they can deal with it. Like, it's, it's, it's annoying. It bothers me that by following God, I'm now in this mess. But I feel like I can handle it as long as nothing else goes wrong. They also might be thinking about this other, like, you find a parallel passage of this storytelling in Mark, in Mark 6. It says that Jesus could even see them, because I said, you know, you can be up on a hill around this place and 
see pretty good distance. So he could, I don't know how far away they were, but he could see, he was like, they're in a mess right now. You know, he could see them enough. And uh, they were struggling with the oars because the wind was against them and all this kind of thing. Again, it's not exactly the same, but you might, they, might, they might be thinking, because in Mark 4, there's another story where they're in, a, in the boat with Jesus, and there's a bad storm, and they're like, we're going to die. These are qualified people to make such judgments, you know. Like if you spend all your days fishing your whole life and probably your dad's whole life and all that kind of thing, you know when you're probably going to die and when you're not, you see. So when they think we're probably going to die, Jesus is asleep on the boat. And they're like, don't you care that we're going to die? And he's like, yeah, but like I'm not, like, what? like don't you know who you're with? And he's like, stop, and the waves just stop, you know. And so they might be thinking, well, well last time we were in a situation similar to this, maybe a little worse. Jesus was here with us, and he just kind of took care of it. And now we did what he told us to do, and he's not here, and we're in a mess. But we got this as long as nothing else goes wrong. And then the thing that happens is, at least from their point of view, something else goes wrong. And they have this kind of Scooby-Doo moment where there's a ghost coming. Which, for the record, the Bible and the Jewish worldview and the Christian worldview doesn't give a lot of room for ghosts. Unless they maybe are in the Scooby-Doo category where it's just some guy in a mask or a projection, which seemed to be a solution they would use a lot in that show. But... Um, an idea of like a disembodied dead spirit, that's not something that's, you know, in the Bible very much. And we don't need to spend a lot of time talking about that. But um, either way, in our culture and in theirs as well, there's kind of folk beliefs. There was enough of that here that they were like, it's a ghost. That's the first thought, you know. But here's the thing. They're in a mess. As long as nothing else goes wrong, we think we got this. Don't know why God got us into this mess. And then, now it's worse, because now there's a ghost. Uh, The funny thing is, though, that going from bad to worse is God showing up. So how often in our lives, you know, we're following what God told us to do. Now we're in a mess, but I think we can handle it. We seem to be good at this, at least good enough. Now it's worse. I wonder how oftentimes that encounter with something that just made everything worse is God. And we're resistant to it. And I think there's other examples of this in the Bible. You think of Jacob when he's um, wrestling with God. When you look at that story, he like he's like trying to make things right with his brother. And then he's like sending his family across the river. And, they're, you know, they, and then like all of a sudden this guy shows up and starts wrestling with him. And renames him Israel and this whole bit of like, it's not like he's going, man, I'm really looking for God right now. And if God shows up, I'm pretty sure he's going to wrestle me all day or all night and then like mess up my hip for the rest of my life. That's not usually how we expect to encounter God, you see. But God just shows up and decides to do that. That's how he gets named Israel. Like that's not like a small moment, you know. And he wrestles with God. So there's this interesting interaction he's having. This has a deep spiritual meaning and deep impact on the whole rest of the story, you see. But it's a little moment of him wrestling with this guy, God, or however that works, you know. So God kind of tends to show up, and and you start to see some of the same sort of activity here. Because you have to pause for a minute whether or not the ghost thing is, you know, 
you maybe you wouldn't have thought of that first, but you don't usually see people walking on the water, so that should cause you pause. And here, here's the other thing. You go, like, Jesus had done some pretty amazing things to date, and even just that day, he'd fed 5,000 people. But this is a different category of weird because uh, there's 5,000 people here that need food, God feeds them. There's a, you see how there's kind of like, a, okay, he met a need there, you know. This is just weird. And like in the Mark story, it kind of it kind of sounds like Jesus might have like walked past them. Like, you can go read it. <laughs> it's like when he was about to pass them. Like, what was he going to do? Like, not stop? You know, like, I don't know. Like, like, somebody saw him and was like, you know, you know, they called him out. So, that agency that we were just talking about, that God can just do what he chooses to do, is important to recognize, you know. But he's not up to nothing, and he's not up to no good. He's always up to good. And so you can look at a story like this, it's unusual, and you start to see his nature revealing. And I actually found that in some of the parts of this, because um, Jesus is like, guys, don't worry. Um it's me. And I did not know this. But if you literally take what he says, he says, I am. That's the phrase he uses. So what Jesus is really saying is, I am God. Because I am is what Yahweh calls himself from the burning bush. And it comes up again and again. And Jesus now is a man, a human being saying, I am God. This is a big deal. Not probably the moment you'd expect to hear it. And I'll be honest, I've known this story my whole life. I didn't know that's what he said. So like God wrestling, Jacob would say, you're Israel now. Big deal, big moment, unusual, unexpected, similar situation going on here. Now we're in a mess that God's put us in, and then here's a ghost that's making it worse. Oh, wait, it's not a ghost. It's Jesus and he says, I am. But he's still, this is still weird. Like, I'd be like, why are you walking on water? That's another thing I didn't know. Because you, 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 miracles are God's kind of normal behavior, okay? And so you can look in the Old Testament. There's plenty of what you would call, like, water miracles. Moses and the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. And they walk through it. That happens again at the Jordan River. There's stuff with Elijah. Like, there's other times where water is moved for the sake of God's people and God moving and this kind of thing. But nobody's walking on it. And I found this first. Listen to this. This is interesting. This is in Job. Job 9.8. <laughs> this is cool. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Now, Jesus knew that. So the fact that he was even doing this is making a declaration of who he is. That's unusual. I'm not sure everybody caught on, but we're catching on now. You know what I mean? Like somebody, they might have, you know. But the point is, God is always up to something good. And he's always, when he's doing, he says, I'm doing what my father is doing. It is miraculous just by its nature. But the next part of the story, 
is very unusual to me. Because well, I, I skip one thing. Because water in the Old Testament, in in a lot of Hebrew thinking in Scripture, represented chaos and the unknown. Which man, I mean, if you're going to describe a mess in our lives, what kind of stuff? Like we were, Angela was just praying about anxiety. The kind of stuff that gives us anxiety would be chaos and the unknown, and uh, you know. And then here comes Jesus walking on it. So this is this is. I always love Peter as a disciple because he's usually the only one who has the guts to say what everybody else is thinking. But he also does things that, I don't know. I don't know if everybody would think this, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't. Like, I think if I go, like, okay, good, Jesus is here. He can do that wave thing again, and we'll be good. Instead, Peter goes, all right, that's you. Call me out there to walk on the water with you. I don't understand the logic to that, per se. I thought for a while, I was like, maybe somehow he knows only God could do that. Like, a ghost could lie. (laughs) And here, I'm using the word ghost in quotes, I guess. You know, but if he can make me walk on water, then maybe this actually is God. But the more I started to think and look at that, he just said, I am. And he's walking on water, which is, again, a revelation of him as God. Maybe Peter, and maybe this is why Jesus calls Peter. Maybe Peter sees things. Maybe this is why Peter's the rock upon which he's going to build his church. Even though, see, Peter's a fisherman, okay? Jesus shows up as God. There's already a system in place, right? There's, there's a religious system. God has established the people to which he's going to come through and redeem the world. And he's established within them structures, worship, patterns. We talked about this some last last week. Some of them were observed pretty well. Some of them weren't. And then sometimes they would have disagreements and they would make new rules. You see Jesus encountering that a lot. Like it was like the, the Pharisees would say, like, well, we do it this way. And he's like, that's not really what God meant. You know, well, how do you know? Well, I'm also God, so, you know. I know, and uh, <laughs> and so um, this kind of tension, uh, there, there was ways people were expecting God to come as the Messiah, you see, um, and there was ways of thinking towards that, some of which were good, some of which weren't, some of which were confusing, some of which, you know, but if you were good, at remembering the Bible, understanding the Bible, because they had the Old Testament scriptures at this time, see. And people would get into a rabbinical school, and from that you would become a religious leader, and you would be, you know, and all this kind of thing. And there was a kind of hierarchy and all this sort of stuff. And not that it was it was important in their society, okay? So you would want to do that. It's not like maybe now where you'd be like, I don't want to work at a church. It's not even the same thing. It's a very different type of mindset, okay? So don't think when I say Israel or Pharisee or religious leader that that equals church. It doesn't. That's nothing. I mean, I don't even think that's not a helpful way to think about much any of that. But um, Jesus starts picking his disciples. See, rabbis would have disciples, you know. This is my disciple, and I teach him all the stuff that I know so that he can pass it on to somebody else. And then... They would credit that rabbi. I learned from rabbi such and such who learned from rabbi such and such who learned from rabbi such and such to say this. And then Jesus comes along and he goes, you may have heard it said, 
what I say. And they're like, <laughs> you can't quote yourself. Like, what are you talking about? But all of these things are him making a case for himself as God, you see. And he's breaking, he's like, everybody would know that he did that. Like, everybody else is making their credibility on all of their studying and all of their learning and all of their this and the, the and, and, and good for them. I mean, it's not, it's not all bad, you see. But then Jesus is over here saying, you may have heard it said, but I say. And he's, you know, they would all go, whoa, you don't say, <laughs> you know, you pass down, you don't say. Like, what are you talking about? And so everybody would know that. And so he starts picking disciples out of what we might consider normal people, like us. So all the way back to what I was saying, one thing I like about Peter is I think he gets things. When Jesus asks him, who are people saying that I am? Like, are they catching on that I'm the Messiah? And he's like, eh, some people think you're Elijah. Some people think, you know, some people think this. And he's like, but who do you say that I am? He's like, I think you're the Messiah. And Peter's the first one who says that. Right, Kevin? Yes. No, it is. Peter's the first one who says it. And so... Um, Jesus knows this about Peter. In the religious system, he wouldn't be a good disciple, okay? But in the real world that Jesus lives in, he's the rock upon which Jesus is going to build the church. The religious system creates rules that Jesus doesn't abide by. Jesus isn't here to start a religious system. We ran into that in that unshakable kingdom. He's here to establish his kingdom, okay? Peter... I think is picking up what Jesus is putting down here. This is God. It's Jesus. I, like it's it's happening. Okay. And he does it. This is the weirdest part. He steps out and walks on the water. So now he's on top of the mess with Jesus in a mess with Jesus, and now he's walking on it. You think, done. We're good, right? Now some of us have lived in this exact situation. We've stepped out because we felt led by God to do something. And when I say led by God to do something, don't church it up all the time. Again, we're talking about religious system over here. Don't start doing that. Like when I say led by God, it doesn't mean, yeah, I used to help pray at church or something. Like led by God to do something could be anything in the real world. All right, guys? These two things are the same thing. So when you're like, yeah, I felt like I was supposed to help my neighbor do that. Why did you feel like that? You see what I'm saying? Led by God to do something. So I helped my neighbor do this thing, and now it's a mess. So great. Thanks, God. That's awesome. Now it's worse, but that might be God showing up. And so he catches on. This ghost is actually God. It's Jesus. We've been following him. And I can step out of this mess like he is. We're all freaking out in the boat, or at least really struggling with it, he's strolling by, might even pass by, unusual. I can do that with him. This is what, he's, this is what we can do. We can do this with him, and then he does. This is kind of awesome. So now he's walking on the waves with Jesus, and you would think, winning, we're done. But see, the funny thing about the mess is just because you're with Jesus and just because you're walking on it, it very often doesn't go away. It's still there. And so what ends up happening so often is that mess 
still around us, still around us. Like, I'm walking on it now. Like, I'm not worried about it anymore. But then I see the waves. They seem big. The wind seems big. And he starts to sink. Now, how many of us have been through this? See, it's older people that are honest that are raising their hands. (laughs) We like the Jesus who's just waving his hand and all the waves go away. Sometimes we really struggle with the Jesus who doesn't stop it. He's just above it. But he's inviting us to be above it. And Peter's the only one who's got that. And he's doing it. But it's hard. And it requires faith. So he starts to doubt and he starts to sink. And he calls out to Jesus. But Jesus catches him. He's not going to let him, you know. But he asks him, he's like, why did you doubt? And they get back in the boat. And the, the waves and the wind stop. And everybody's like, whoa. This always strikes me. Y- y'all remember the movie Twister? It's like every time in that movie when they would almost die, and then like 10 seconds later, the whole storm was gone. It was like sunny. And you're like, what? Like, that's not realistic. It's a quintessential 90s movie. Like, that kind of stuff happened in 90s <laughs> movies, I guess. That's kind of what happens here. It's like, they almost die, and then it's all over. And um, if I was Peter, and I'm wet now, sitting in the boat, I think I would have been like, what? you could have stopped that the whole time. Like, you're going to wait till now to do this kind of thing? Like, what? I don't get it. Like, first off, you're going to, like, walk past us. In my, I'm in struggle. Like, don't you care? I'm in. I'm struggling because I'm doing what you told me to do. You're gonna like walk past. Then we we call you, and then like, I almost drown. Like, yeah, I do something. We do something cool for a second, and it felt good for like two minutes or a minute or whatever. And then I'm sinking again. And yes, thank you. You saved me. It's you know I'm not ungrateful for that. But, like, then we get in the boat and it's all over. Like, why didn't you just stop it the whole time? Like, why are we even in the mess? Like, I don't get it. That's how I would have been, you know. I don't know if that's disrespectful or not. But maybe he's just freaked out. But I would have at least thought that at some point. And uh, I was thinking about that because I think that's fair. Um, But I think that Jesus would say back, smiling something like sure sure i could have i could have stopped it whenever it's like but remember when we walked on water together you know do you remember that with all this going on we walked on water together jesus wanted him to do that and he wants us to do that The agency of God is unlimited. God can do anything, if you understand what I mean by that. But he doesn't always make the mess go away. But he invites us to walk on it with him. He could have said to Peter when he's like, you know, hey, if this is really you, how many come out there and walk with you? He'd be like, oh, hold on a second. I'm going to get in the boat and we're going to, you know, we're going to stop this whole thing. You know, like, no need, you know. 
No need to follow your weird idea, you know. But see, this is the thing. See, Jesus is doing God's stuff. And if you look at the very beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve are created in God's image and living in perfect paradise, in perfect community with God, and the serpent is starting to sow thoughts in their minds of, this is, okay, you're in a perfect place. It can't be any better. God has called it good in the most extreme sense of the word good. You know, amazing, best it could be, this kind of thing. But the serpent starts to tell them, like, you should be like God. And he knows that, and that's why he doesn't want you to eat from this tree, because then you'll be like him. And he doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to keep you down. He wants to control you. You should be afraid of him. You should be worried about his coercive power, like we were talking about a minute ago. And they believe it. And then they eat the fruit and the whole thing falls apart. And Jesus has to come to fix everything. This desire to be like God or doing the things that God does, I think, in a way, is built into human beings. When we're made in God's image, he's made us to be like him. Like him. Not be him. But be like him. That turns into this corruption to try to take control of everything and, uh, you know, and. <laughs> but here's the thing when. If Jesus is walking on water, coming up to the boat, he says, I am God, I am, and I'm treading on the waters as only God can do. And Peter responds with this human response of, okay, then let me come be with you. Like you're being. Like I'm not swimming over there, all right? God could say, no, no, calm down, little guy. This is God's stuff. You wait in the boat, I'll get in, and you calm down. I don't even know if that probably would still make it in the book, and we'd probably still be reading it, you know? Like, they freaked out, but then Jesus walked up. They thought it was a ghost. He's like, no, 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 and he gets it. And actually, if you read in Mark, that's kind of what happens, you know? Like, their version has it. It leaves out the Peter walking part. But... When Peter says this thing, which could sound crazy, Jesus says, come on. See, God is so powerful and so good. He's not threatened at all by any of this, okay? He's so giving. I don't even know if it was the right thing to ask. I actually think it's kind of weird. I said that already. But Jesus says, yes. I want you to be like me. I want you to be with me. And he invites him to do it. And only his fear and doubt get in the way. And when he looks back on it and says, man, you could have stopped these waves at any point. Why did you let that happen? I think Jesus could say, remember when we walked on water together? And if you follow the rest of the story of Peter, and maybe we should just do that sometime, Kevin, we should just do a sermon series on, like, Peterisms or something that happened throughout his life. I seem drawn to these things. And uh, one of the very last things we have of Jesus saying to Peter, 
specifically is, again, they're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and this whole thing, and he tells Peter, he's like, one day people are going to take you and lead you in places you don't want to go. And it says he was telling him that so he would know because he knew what he was saying. You're going to die, you know, like I died in a horrible way. You're going to die in a horrible way, but it's going to be for good, and I'm with you. And I think as he's walking to his death, and he says he doesn't want to go, okay? I can see that he's remembering the kind of trust it takes to trust God through difficult things can be built in moments when you're walking on the water. And I know that as he's looking death in the face, for the sake of God, he can remember, Jesus saying, remember when we walked on water together? These people can't do anything to you. It doesn't matter if they try to hurt you. It doesn't matter if they even kill you. If you and I are together, that's it. That's the whole thing. When I was reading, finishing that book, Unshakable Kingdom, the unchanging person, and in case you didn't read it, that's Jesus. <laughs> the thing that struck me about it is, there was a lot, but what struck me most, I think, was the certainty with which E. Stanley Jones was talking about God, the confidence you can see in his understanding of the nature of God and the goodness of God. And he said something in there, and I was going to find the exact quote and read, but it doesn't matter. He said something like, and I'll paraphrase this, like, when are we going to realize as a church, church being people who follow Jesus, you could say Christian. You could say Christ followers. It doesn't really matter. When are we going to get to the, when are we going to realize the only thing we have to offer is to tell people about Jesus? That's it. We don't have anything else. There's not enough good programs we could come up with. There's not enough help we can bring to the world. The thing is that when Jesus shows up, he changes things. And we know that. And when I was sitting yesterday at this piano playing a song, which is just sounds, it's just music. It's not even, you know, it's mysterious, I guess, maybe spiritual or something, but it's, it's just noise. It doesn't, it's vibrating air. But there's this like, power that was in the room, and I looked at this TV screen with all these little faces on it, and I could see people that were longing for God to touch their hearts, but were I never cry except for when I'm standing up here, so, and yesterday, uh, it's true, but the, uh, They were pulling back because they were afraid that, again, they would be hurt. 
and I've struck. That the healer has come. And in this desperate and dying and broken world, we know the healer. And we've known it for 2,000 years. And so many of us don't know it. And so many of us don't have the confidence to share that with anyone because we haven't seen it. And I was at a place called Christian Healing Ministries that basically all they do is this stuff. And there's people on the screen that I could tell. However you tell things like that. That even they didn't know. And it just broke my heart because if you have the audacity to see God doing something that perhaps only God can do, and your response is, all right, then have me come do it. If God was worried about his 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 power. See, I, I don't don't hear me as not saying God's not sovereign. God is absolutely sovereign. God is absolutely powerful. God is totally omniscient, omnipresent. He's totally all of these things. He's also totally good. He's so much that though that he's not threatened at all by anything. That we can do. And in fact, when we say things like this to him, he says, yes, come. Somebody gets it. And he's saying that to us today. And he's saying it to us every day. It's not just like right now because I'm speaking or something. When you're in a mess, especially if you're in a mess because you're doing something right, because of what God has called you to be or to do. Especially if you're in a mess. Where because you've done that, you feel distant from God. Like last time we did this, it went a lot better. And I felt like God was here. Now, I'm doing what I feel like is right that God has taught me to do. And I feel like God's not here. And I'm on my own. And it's not that great. So I'm not with God. And it's not, you know. That moment when it gets worse. Stop and ask the Lord, where are you in this situation? Because he's doing something. He's teaching us to trust him. He's teaching us to be strong. He's teaching us like he's teaching Peter. It's important you get this. You're not a nobody. I know the religious system might have said, you're not a disciple. I say you are. Okay? I'm going to sing a song to close that to me reveals um, a lot of this about the character of of who who God is and who Jesus is. And it was written the year I was born by John Wimber. It's a simple song. 
and I don't even know if we have the words, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to sing it, because this is what I was singing yesterday when this happened to me. And I just want us to close our eyes and allow the words that I sing to help us to shed bad images we've made or bad experiences we've had with power and bad um, images we've made of God and allow the true God, the true Jesus, the true I am to show up in our lives even when it seems like he's making things worse. Because he's doing something that's good. I'm going to sing this song. And if you want to come forward and pray at the altar, always always feel free to do that. But, you, but also, you know, some of us are at home right now. And some of us are, uh, um, we need to keep our distance because of COVID. But, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and change our lives in your precious name. Fill this place with your presence, Lord. And help us not to be afraid of your power because of coercion.